All right, so uh, tonight uh, we're going to go into chapter 4 and 5 of the visual guide to the Bible. So first, uh, chapter 4 is going to be talking about what makes the Bible unique. So out of, I don't even know, I should have looked this up, so I apologize, but how many books are out there, you know? What makes this one so special, you know? Um, If we... Especially, you know, what makes it stand apart, okay? What, what sets the Bible apart from everything else that's out there? Because, I mean, you think about it. Think of how much noise is out there. The book talks about how much noise there is. There's always things grabbing for our attention. Uh, you know, phones and notifications and social media and meeting notifications. And like this new feature that my boss figured out that on Microsoft Teams, if you're not attending the conference call, she could ring you. Right there on the spot, <laughs> you know. So those kind of things. It's always grabbling for our attention. I knew you'd be able to look this up, so go ahead. 130 million books with 2 million published every year. Is that a little chat GBT right there? Gabby, oh, that's right, we switched. <laughs> so, yes, thank you for looking that up. So, yeah, I mean, in all the noise, what what's, has the Bible, st- you know, set apart. So that's what we're going to be talking about this evening. Uh, it is actually, it made me think of this, uh, it's a somewhat viral uh, meme slash gift kind of thing is, uh, you know, the, the videos of people carrying around their Bibles like we carry our phones. And then you hear a phone notification, everything dings and you open the Bible. You know, th- think about if we carried our Bibles around like the way that we carry our phones and how the phone grabs for our attention. You know, Andrew could attest to this. There's engineers in, in cubicles, hours and hours and hours and days. How do we get you to look at your phone more? Right? You know? So this is what we're going to look at today is what makes the Bible unique and why we should treat it that way. So uh, if we look at the Bible stands apart. Out of the midst of the millions of human voices, the Bible stands apart. While these voices give advice on how to order our lives, the Bible alone is sufficient. While these voices contradict one another and often uh, offer questionable counsel, the Bible itself is crystal clear about our Creator and His design for His creation. While, While these voices claim to be the truth, The Bible alone holds the supreme seat as the ultimate truth of God. We desperately need in the Bible to order we desperately need the Bible to order our lives. The Bible is unique, set apart from every other book written and every other voice spoken. The theologians have, have theologians have organized the distinct characteristics of the Bible into four categories. And I really like the way the book did this with, we can remember this with an acronym. I'm a very big fan of acronyms. You'll actually see an acronym next week that we're going to go into. Um, But the acronym is SCAN. So S-C-A-N, okay? It stands for sufficiency. It stands for clarity, authority, and necessity, okay? You know, we should really commit this acronym to memory. Okay, especially when you evangel- if you're in a, an evangelizing situation, you know, because the Bible is sufficient, it is clear, it has authority, and it is 
beyond necessary. I think we could all agree on that. Okay. Um, so let's first start talking about the, the Bible is sufficient. Okay. The sufficiency of the Bible means that the Bible contains all we need for salvation and for the Christian life. Okay? It doesn't tell us how to build an engine or anything like that. But what God wants us to know about himself, about his son, and about his spirit, he has revealed in this book. Okay? You know, if we look at, you know, 2 Timothy uh, 3, 15 to 17, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay? That was what Paul was saying to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. The scriptures are able to make someone wise for salvation, and the scripture makes us fully equipped to obey God. Of course, the Bible isn't sufficient to teach us about everything, like I just mentioned. The Bible, for example, won't tell us how to bake a cake or train for a marathon, but the Bible will tell you all you need for knowing and obeying God. Because the, Bible, because the Bible is sufficient, we are forbidden to add or take away from it. And I want to pause there for a second. That's a very, very key line right there. Is we don't have any right to add anything to God's word. That is very rampant right now, especially in the church community, of adding things. You know, especially, you know, one of probably the most famous things is with the LBGTQ community adding, you know, their own prayers and what God is, if he's binary, non-binary, and all these different things, okay? We, we don't have that right. God has revealed himself in a way that is perfect. There is nothing to add. We don't need to add anything to God. He is perfect. He fulfills us to be more like Christ, not the other way around, all right? We don't need to add humanity to God, okay? So I just wanted to pause there and just make that very clear for us, okay? We are not to declare anything sinful that God does not declare or imply to be sinful in his word. So we can't just make up things that are wrong when they're not defined as wrong by God, okay? And we are not to require anything that God does not require of us in his word, okay? The sufficiency of scripture should make us pause and worship God for his position or his provision, okay? It's another key line right there, you know, pause and worship God for his provision. We are not just aimlessly walking around in this life trying to figure out, like, what do we do? You know, we know what to do. We just have to study and find out what to do. You know, he's given us the, the instruction manual on how to live this life and live a life that is honoring to him. We don't have to guess, okay? But we do need to put in the work, okay? 
We don't have to wonder about what it God, who God is or what God expects of us. He gives us all we need in his written word. When we hold the Bible, you know, we hold the full counsel of God for us as his children. You know, the next part of uh, scan was clarity, okay? So the Bible is clear, okay? The, the clarity of the Bible means that the Bible ensures, ensures its meaning is accessible to all who come to it in faith, okay? That's a key, that you, know, you need to come to the Bible. That's a key phrase right there, okay? In faith, you know, that to hear from God. The Bible is not a collection of obscure wisdom, you know, meant to confuse us. It is given by God for us to read, receive, and respond. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of times people think, like, the Bible's out of touch because of uh, when it was written, you know, if they actually believe that it was when it was written. But it, the, the Bible is timeless. It has cultural context from, you know, those past days, but it is completely relevant to our century now. You know, it's not, it hasn't lost any luster just because it's been written over 2,000 years ago, okay? Um, it was given by God, or, uh, sorry, I went over that part. So we look at, you know, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 13, or 14, 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, you know, God's not going to intentionally try to confuse us, okay? Um, God wrote his word in such a way that any person, regardless of cultural or of culture or education level, would be able to understand it, okay? We also have this other a- added aspect, too. Yes, we have to put in the work because God asks us to be, you know, Pastor Nick says all the time to the teens, you know, we need to be students of the word. We are forever called to be students. We don't graduate high school, being a student isn't over. Graduating college, you know, whatever it may be, we're supposed to be students for life, okay? God wants us to put it in the work, but the same spirit that searches the depths of God is in us and helps us understand God's word. So we have to remember that. You're not, you know, you're not too new to, like, understand the word as a Christian, or you don't have to be a 30-year scholar of the word, to be able to talk about Christ with a friend. You know, we have to remember that the same spirit, you know, the same spirit that was, you know, consoling Jesus in the garden, you know, all these different things, that's the same spirit that is within us, okay? Um, You know, for instance, you know, in uh, Psalm 119.105, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making, making wise the simple. You know, and then also in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then in Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14, it says, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither, it is, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us? that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart 
so that you can do it. So the clarity of Scripture is not the same as the easiness of Scripture. The Scriptures are clear, but they are sometimes hard to understand. As Peter says about Paul's writings in 2 Peter 3.16, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scripture. So God expects us to sow effort, prayer, and thought into the study of the scripture so that the scriptures help and we can reap the rewarding, the reward of understanding. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you use the example of school or like a new skill or a new job that you're that you have okay to become good at something or to learn something new okay so tom could attest that if you're going to learn physics you have to put in the work to learn physics right it's not going to just you can't just download it okay that'd be kind of nice but we can't so god does expect us to be students and put in the work so that we can reap the understanding of what his word is saying. So if something's confusing, then you need to ask a brother, ask a pastor. You know, look up in a commentary. You know, you have to put a little bit of work. You just don't chalk it up to, well, I'm just not going to understand that and move on. Okay, Bob? Yeah, absolutely. No, I remember um, being in the same boat and newly saved and... You know, language wasn't great, and I thought it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, it's just language. What does it matter? I'm not, like, cursing out somebody or something like that. But um, I remember Pastor Mark and a lot of people, long attenders here, um, did a series on called Taming the Tongue. Um, it was a very good series. Um, I, I think the church actually still has it on CD-ROM, if you can find a CD-ROM uh, to actually use it. But, um, but it was a very good series, and it was very convicting. And you're right, like I, if I wasn't being a student of the word, I wouldn't have known that was a problem. And that's the way God convicted me of it. So, thank you. Uh, so if we look at those, you know, we need to approach the scriptures in a certain way. So those who approach the scriptures with dependence on God, and a desire to obey him will discover the glorious clarity of the word. Okay? In other words, we need to come to God's word with humility and not thinking that we know more than God, first off, but come to humility, humility of, God, please show me and reveal yourself to me through your word. Um, I highly recommend whenever you start studying the word, you're going to go into a quiet time or devotional or whatever it may be, you have to pray. You know, you have to really, you ask the Spirit, you know, to help you understand what God wants you to reveal or what he wants to reveal to you, all right? Not what we want revealed to us, but what he wants to reveal to us. You have to come to it with humility, okay? Uh, so in Psalm 119, 17 through 18, it's to deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. And the last part of, uh, or not the last part, uh, the Bible is uh, also authoritative. The Bible 
The authority of the Bible means that the, 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 the Bible's word is God's word, with God's authority, so that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelief or disobey God, okay? The creator of the universe has the ultimate authority. He created us. Who are we? Is where that kind of says that. Like, the, he's the ultimate authority. He is the absolute truth. So we need to treat and go to his word with that kind of authority. What he says goes, basically. Okay? And there's sometimes, you know, parents can attest to this. Kids will ask a question. Well, why? Why? And your answer is because I said so. And then they ask, why again? When God says, because I said so, trust him. You know, he knows what he's talking about. Okay? You know, the, the Bible is the Supreme Court. You know, we're hearing a lot about the Supreme Court and the news with, you know, presidential campaigns and all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, the Supreme Court is the ultimate authority in our country. What they say goes, okay? Um, they have the final say, you know? So if you want to look at and compare politics to God, God has the final say. And all, all other lesser authorities must align with it or be rejected. Okay? So in 2 Peter 3.2, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your, through your apostles. Okay? The authority of the scripture doesn't mean that if any lesser authority contradicts the Bible, then the Bible wins the day. So I say that again. The authority of the scripture does mean that if any lesser authority contradicts the Bible, then the Bible wins the day. Then the last part of uh, scan is the Bible is necessary. Okay? I think most of us in this room could agree that the Bible is very much necessary. To say that the Bible is necessary means that the Bible is required for salvation and spiritual life. So, for instance, in Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Then in Romans uh, 1, 19 through 20, Paul says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. That's Romans 1, 19 through 20. We don't need the Bible to know that God exists. You know, there's many things in this world that attest to God's existence, mainly his creation. But we need the Bible to know God. You know, so in Romans 10, 17, Paul says again, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And then in 1 Peter 1.23, since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. While we can know something about God from creation, we can all only know the fullness of God's plan of salvation in Christ through his word. The Bible is not only necessary for our salvation, 
but also for our spiritual life. So Matthew says in Matthew 4, 4, but he answered, it is written, or Matthew, Matthew writes this in Matthew 4, 4, and, says, and Jesus states this, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The necessity of Scripture tells us we cannot have life and godlessness apart from the Scriptures. or I'm sorry, not godlessness. Godliness apart from the Scriptures to grow up into the knowledge and likeness of God. We must take in the Scriptures as readily and frequently as newborn infants take milk. You know, so to end, First Peter 2, 2 through 3, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, but by it you may grow up into the salvation. If you need, you have tasted that the Lord is good. So to answer the question, is what makes the Bible unique? You know, we should remember the scan, okay? So sufficiency, clarity, authority, necessity. Okay, the Bible is completely sufficient for us. The Bible has its own clarity. It is very clear. The Bible... God is the ultimate authority. So if he says his word is the ultimate authority, then what he says goes. I think uh, not let this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, you know, Pastor Stephen made it very clear, you know, with uh, the situation with Joshua. You know, what God said went, and there was consequences because they didn't listen. Very big consequences. So we have to come to God's word with that same kind of authority that what he, what he says goes. And then the last piece is uh, necessity. Okay. So that was, uh, that was chapter 4. And uh, next we'll move over into chapter 5, which talks about can we trust the Bible? So is there, I want to start and ask this question, is there anything besides God's word, because I know Sam would immediately first say that, uh, that you blindly trust in the just blindly trust. So, yeah, so those are great examples. But, um, you know, some people could say their parents, you know, kind of got a good relationship with your parents enough to kind of trust what they're saying, you know, things like that. A pastor, you know, sometimes you could blindly trust a pastor. We are called to discernment, but, you know, kind of give them a little extra layer of trust sometimes. I asked that question is because we're going to answer the question, can you trust the Bible? And I want to say, first, we could blindly trust the Bible, and we'd be completely fine. Not called to do it that way, because we're to be students of his word, but we could just trust God, and he'll take care of it, okay? But a lot of people don't trust the Bible, and they don't trust God, okay? They say things like, well... There's wars in this world. There's a war between Ukraine and Russia right now. How can God be real? You know, my mother died of stage four cancer. How can God be real? You know, my marriage fell apart. How can God be real? So this is what we're going to go into is, you know, can we trust the Bible? So if we look at, if the Gospels accurately report who Jesus was, or, I'm sorry, we can trust the Bible, the Bible historically. If the Gospels accurately report who Jesus was and what he said and did, then Jesus really did raise the dead, 
Jesus really is the Son of God. And if Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God, then all his words can be trusted, including his belief that the, the, all of Scripture was God's true and reliable word. Okay? So it says in, you know, I got some verses to kind of back that up here. So John 10, 35 says, If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the Scripture cannot be broken. Then in Matthew 15, 6, he need not honor his father so that for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And then in Mark seven thirteen, thus making the word of God, the word of God by your tradition that you may have handed down and many such things you do. And then in Matthew five seventeen, do you not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. So, uh, the book goes through uh, a few objections here to talk about, are the Gospels we have today accurate and reliable? Okay, so the first objection is the Gospels were written after the first century. Okay, so then they, they have a couple things that back it up from there. So the first century names are accurate. Okay, so the names used were very popular names of the time. You know, uh, first century language is accurate. You know, accordingly, according to the style and language that was used back then, okay? First century locations were accurate. You know, these were actual real historical places that were proven outside of the Bible itself. Uh, if it was written later, then there's very, like, odd omissions. And the, the, uh, the book goes through a few. The one that I brought up here is such as the New Testament doesn't describe the siege of Jerusalem, even though it would support them, uh, support the theme of suffering. So, like, why wouldn't they bring that up kind of thing, you know? Then they go into objection number two, which new ideas were invented through the centuries, okay? There's, there is a consistent preservation or preservation of theme and content from the students of John, Paul, and Peter, okay? Jesus was described as God, claimed to be God, walked with his disciples, taught many people, died on the cross, and rose from the dead. This version of Jesus was witnessed and accurately described by the gospel writers. So in the writings of these other individuals, what they're saying is, is that the theme of who Christ was was consistent, and who Christ is today is consistent. So that is more validity to the Bible. Okay? The, other, uh, the next objection, number three, was the text has changed through the century which I don't know about you, when you went to this part of the book, I found this completely fascinating. Uh, the, the quality and quantity of manuscripts available and the short span of time from original to our earliest copies make this claim extremely unlikely. Okay? We can be confident that the Gospels are accurate and the Gospels are reliable. Okay? So for just one second, 
let, let's set aside who God was or who God is, okay? That obviously God is going to preserve his word if he wants to reveal himself to us, and he has decided to reveal himself through his word. But if you look at the, just the way that scribes operated, okay? So if we look at its page 64, 65, 66, okay? So it's this yellow page here, okay? So I'm just going to read through this real quick, but so a scribe was basically the time period's copy machine, okay? So I go down there, I punch in a code, and it makes an exact copy of whatever I put into it, okay? Back in biblical times, they had to use scribes. This was actually a very, very um, prestigious job to have, okay? Not everybody could be a scribe kind of thing, okay? But if you just follow the steps here, so step, like, number one, the manuscript must be written on the skin of clean animals, okay? So there's very specific ways that they operated, okay? It must be fastened together with strings of clean animals, okay? Which, if you're wondering what clean animals are, you could go back to the Old Testament, and uh, God had laid out very specific laws on what he defines as clean and unclean, Okay? The number of columns throughout the entire manuscript must be equal, okay? The length of each column must not be less than 48 or greater than 60 lines. The ink must be black and mixed according to the specific recipe. The original used to make a copy must be authentic. The scribe had to say each word aloud as he wrote it. The scribe must be dressed in scribal dress. No word or letter could ever be written from memory. The scribe must always look first at the original before writing his copy. A space of hair or thread must be between each consonant. A space with the width of nine consonants must come between each section. No word may touch another word. Three lines of space must be between each book. The book of Deuteronomy must end with a line. The scribe must wash his entire body before beginning to copy. Every time the name of God is written, the pen must be wiped clean and have fresh ink. Before the name of God, Yahweh, was written, the scribe would wash his entire body. When finished, the scribe would find the middle word and compare it to the middle word of the original. When finished, the scribe would find the middle letter and compare it to the middle letter of the original. If a sheet had one mistake, the entire sheet was thrown out. If a sheet was found to have three mistakes, the entire manuscript was thrown out. Statistics counting each word and letter were kept. If the counts did not match from the copy to the original, the entire manuscript was thrown out. So, once again, God, in his design, has used humans, his children, to preserve his word. Okay, Just like we have the gospel writers. They were men. They were real people that walked this earth that God used to give us what we have today in those gospels. Just like back then, he used scribes, and he gave them a very, very dedicated system to make sure that they didn't mess anything up. So I, I feel confident, even though humans can make errors, that God has given us the tools to preserve his word throughout the years. Okay, so I, I don't know. Th I was just geeking out on this a little bit, but this was, I thought this was absolutely fascinating, and I never really... Um, realized what scribes went through because you you hear in the bible like scribes okay well what did that actually mean well it was, it was a lot more than just copying 
you know, something. Like this, you know, going like this and then scribbling and then going like, there, there was a lot to it. And the other part that kind of struck me too is before they even wrote the word of Yahweh, they washed their bodies. I, there's a lot of things, and I, I will raise my hand high. There's a lot of things as New Testament believers that we take for granted. And that's the blood of Jesus sometimes. But they, do we respect God and his authority the way those scribes did? So much so that before we even write the word of God on a piece of paper, that we respect him enough. I'm saying that we need to go wash our bodies. No. But, you know, Francis Chan said in one of his sermons one time, before you pray, think about who you're praying to first. So I just, I, that was something that struck me. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, you know, so we can also, the book goes into, uh, you know, can we trust Right, I didn't do these slides. Uh, we can trust the Bible scientifically. Okay, this is a very point, big point of contention in our world is science versus God, especially when it comes to creation. Uh, while science and the Bible are often pitted against each other, uh, one another, the truth is that God breathed out what breathed out the Bible and created the world. There is no inherent conflict between the two. So basically, in other words, he created science, he created the world, so there's no inherent conflict. We're adding the conflict. Okay? So Frank, uh, Frank Turek, I hope I said his name right, uh, said this, God and science are not competing explanations for the universe and life any more than Henry Ford and the laws of internal combustion are competing explanations for the Model T. Both are necessary. Learning more about how a car works will never disprove the existence of the car maker. So our approach to the apparent conflicts between the Bible and science depends on our worldview, okay? Or what lens are we looking at or looking through, all right, that worldview lens. Those with a naturalistic worldview will rule out from the beginning any notion of God's intervention uh, intervention in the world, okay? It it's kind of still baffles my mind, but I don't understand how you think just this, it was just bang and it just happened, you know, and this world was created. But um, thankfully, we know the truth that God created everything the heavens and the earth. So. But those who approach the question with a Christian worldview acknowledge that science works only because God intervenes in the world. Okay? The solar system spins in a certain way. The earth rotates in a certain way. You know, the, we have you know, seasons. We have weather. All because of what God put into practice. Okay? And you think about it, I don't know if anybody really studies space or is fascinated by space or things like that, but you just think about how perfectly everything moves. 
how did that happen by happenstance? You know? How does, like, not anything, like, constantly just be running into each other? You know, how haven't we just ran into the sun and be destroyed randomly? Because, you know, everything has its place and moves and does its own thing um, because of the way God designed it. Uh, without God holding all things together, natural laws could not, de- uh, they could not be depended on. Okay, so, you know, we couldn't depend on gravity if God didn't create gravity. You know? if, if we approach the scriptures with a thea- theistic worldview, uh, meaning, you know, there is one true God, okay, that's the thea- theist- theistic worldview, the miracles described in the Bible are not a stumbling block, right? It's not, you know, you're not wondering, well, how did Jesus have the power to just rub dirt on man's eyes and all of a sudden the man could see even though he was blind since, you know, his birth? That's not a stumbling block if you have that theistic worldview that there is one true God and God created everything, okay? If God created, you know, if God created the universe, created humanity, how is it that his son could not heal the sick? You know, that shouldn't be a stumbling block. While miracles do disrupt the normal flow of nature, if there is a God, then it is not surprising that he can work miraculously within his creation. Okay? Believing, in creator, believing in a creator God does not rule out the possibility, or do, it does rule out the possibility. So let me back that up because I almost messed that up. Believing in creator God does rule out the possibility of evolution as a worldview. That all creation came about simply as a result of natural process. But believing in creator God does not contradict science since science cannot disprove the existence of God. And then lastly, we move into... uh, we can trust the Bible, the Bible culturally. When facing cultural challenges to the Bible, it is wise to first understand exactly what the Bible is saying, which we'll learn a little bit more next week on how to actually go through that process. When the Bible, is teach, when the Bible teaching is in conflict with cultural norms, we must ask whether our cultural beliefs, which vary from nation to nation, have authority over the timeless word of God. The answer is no which stands as the truth confronting and critiquing all cultures all, or all cultures over all the time. And then lastly, we can trust the, uh, trust the Bible spiritually, although we can trust the Bible historically, scientifically, and culturally, the way we come to truly trust the Bible is by reading it. Those who immerse themselves in the Bible with a humble and hungry heart will experience the trustworthiness of the Bible and conclude the Bible is indeed God's word, which stands as the final authority over every other authority. Okay. And that's where the book uh, left off. Okay. Any questions, comments, any, anything like that? Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it boils down to um, the earth is not as old as everybody thinks. Um, so, any other uh, questions, comments? No? Okay. Um, so, we'll move into a time of discussion. We've got about a 
you know, 20 minutes or so, whatever you guys are done. Uh, so for next week, uh, we're going to do uh, something a little bit different. Um, so we, chapter 6 and 7, um, I'm actually going to bypass. And you're, you're going to be like, you're bypassing on how to study the Bible? Um, so chapter 6 goes into why we should study the Bible, okay, which I think in a nutshell should be pretty obvious why we should study God's Word, okay? It's important. Um, and then uh, questions, or chapter 7 talks about how do we study the Bible, okay? We, I, I like the Brooks version of how to study the Bible. Uh, Pastor Nick did with the teens uh, two years ago. Yeah, I guess two years ago. Um, it's an acronym called SOYA, okay? I think the, the, the SOYA thing, you know, the, all the teens are like, SOYA! Like, they always add a little thing to the end of it. It's just a little bit um, more, uh, you know, rememberable as a method of studying the Bible. Uh, he also put in a ton of work to this, so it is very, 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 very well done. Uh, so I'm actually going to lead you guys through the same teaching that we did with the teens, a little bit more of an adult version than a teen version, but it's going to be very similar on how to actually study the Bible. Because honestly, I've been a Christian for 14 years now, and he taught me a lot on how to study the Bible. And it was humbling, very humbling, because I thought, well, I can just read God's Word, and it'll just download into my brain and know exactly what. But, you know, coming through these years, you know, God has showed me that you need to put a little bit more effort into that. And he has written his, by, his word in a certain way for us to re- get revealed what he wants us to read, but we have to learn how to study his word. We have to understand the cultural context of what was going on at the time, you know, what was going on in that part of history. We need to understand, you know, the difference between different Greek words and, you know, Hebrew words and all these kind of things. All those things that we just allow our pastors to do because it's hard, you know, and yes, that's their job. They should do that. But we shouldn't just let them be the only source of those kind of things. We need to put in the effort as well, okay? Um, so we're going to go into that. Um, I have some great handout material that I'll give you guys and everything like that. But I do encourage you, not don't just skip chapter 6 and 7. Uh, but I wanted to give you a little bit of heads up that I'm not going to be actually covering those two uh, chapters. I'm going to use the soya as a substitute, uh, which... I apologize ahead of time. It was it's four weeks worth of material. I'm gonna cram it into one night. Okay, so but but there's like there's hands outs and supports and all that kind of stuff. So and uh, you know we're happy to answer any questions or anything like that. But it's, we're gonna give you a crash course in soya next week. So even though it is President's Day, I know some people have bank holidays, including me. Um, we will be meeting. Okay. Um, also, lastly, uh, conference. You got one week. Sign up. You know, sign-ups end Sunday at midnight. So we got about 38 of your other brothers coming. Uh, we put in a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of, going to be a great time. You know, uh, we, there's a special wall that was built that's going to involve something that's uh, going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I won't give you any uh, spoilers or anything like that, but it was uh, going to be a lot of fun. But please uh, go on the website, sign up. Uh, there's going to be some great food. It's going to be a great time of fellowship. So thank you, guys. What was that? Invite people, yes. Um, there's also cards on that table that you can hand to somebody as an invite card. 
There's also a QR code on there. If you just want to scan that, that'll bring you directly to the sign-up, okay? Okay.